this is the first Sunday after Epiphany. I don't know if you guys know what that is. Epiphany is the great feast of the church that comes 12 days after Christmas. So it generally falls on the 6th of January, or in the States, whatever Sunday is closest to that. And let me just tell you what we celebrate, or what is celebrated during Epiphany. It's the beautiful counterpoint to Christmas where we celebrate the humanity of God in the man Jesus Christ. Epiphany is that great feast where we, we put it back in balance with the divinity of God, okay? The divinity of the Christ child. And this is, this is what happens during Epiphany. Anybody know what, what, what are we actually celebrating? Anybody grew up in Latin America? You would know that the gifts aren't on Christmas. You get the gifts on the 6th of January. And why is that? It's when the wise men show up, right? So let me just tell you this. We're not going to go super into that. But there's, there is a narrative that we're following through with the global church that would say as human as the Christ child was and as integral as that is to our faith, let us not forget that all power, all authority, all science, all industry, all technology, all influence will one day bow to this baby master this little child who will master it all in the end. Okay, and I'm not talking about Yoda. I'm talking about this little master. So, so we're in that time. And what the church focuses on uh, during this first Sunday after Epiphany is the baptism of Christ. Now, there's a reason for that. And we're not going to go super into that. And if this is already boring you, hang on. We're going to switch gears about as quick as the weather switches in Austin, right? Anybody love that ADD weather? Like, what the heck? It was 70 degrees. So uh, Haskins and I are enjoying our 10 minutes of winter with a scarf because we get to do that once a year. We're going to switch gears in a second, but let me just tell you this. The baptism of Christ initiates for us a remembrance of what it is that we are called out of and called into. So what I would like to do today is use that scripture and talk our way into something profound and see if we can't talk about AMC through the lens of the baptism of Christ. Now, that's a tall order. But I think we can get there. So let's just invite the Holy Spirit to have his way, and then we'll jump right in, okay? We thank you, Lord, for this morning and for this day. We ask you to quicken our hearts and quicken our minds. Guide our thoughts to deep places of reflection where you might uh, move the, 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 the variables and move the pieces in our lives so we might reflect on you and we could walk away changed from what we see. In your name we pray. Amen. So let me read this text to you. It comes from the book of Luke. It feels so good to not be in Matthew for once. I don't know if I had my driver's license when we started that book. Just saying. <laughs> Luke chapter 3. You can read along on the screen with me. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering if their hearts, in their hearts, if John might possibly be the Messiah. Talking about John the Baptist. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. If you're gluten-free, I'm sorry. That's a bit of a, just take a deep breath. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, I love how it says when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son, whom I love, with with whom I am well pleased. And I have to say, of all the moments in history, 
that could be frozen and understood and analyzed and dissected, this would be one of the top two or three in my book. I don't know about you. This we see for the first time in Scripture, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Christ the Son in one frame, in a single frame. You know, the doctrine of the Trinity wasn't, it doesn't come to us through Scripture spelled out that way. We have looked back at the happenings of the life of Christ and tried to hold that intention with what we know to be true about God the Father and the promise of Christ to send the Holy Spirit. And we say these are three sides of the same, same God. And for the first time in Scripture, in one frame, we have all three players. It's to mark the moment when Jesus crosses the threshold from private to public obedience. Now, it's important to point out that he wasn't just learning how to follow the Father. He had 30 years under his belt. But this is the moment when he crosses the line from private to public obedience. It's the precise moment when the thinker, the rabbi, the philosopher becomes community organizer, teacher of the people, liberator of the oppressed. We're looking deep into the exact moment when inward deposits of character in the life of Christ developed over years, put there by God himself, begin to finally meet their outward audience. We know nothing of the public ministry of Christ until this point. This is that point. Perhaps, maybe not, but it's the only thing we've got record of, the very first step into that public arena, right? This is the announcement that he's going to run for Congress, right? This is the IPO of the product that he's going to launch. This is the big moment. We'll come back to that because I think that's the metaphor we want to work with. Just know that what's coming out in this moment is 30 years in its incubation in the life of Christ. And that provides for us a pattern we can follow. I think in our life it's going to work the same way as it did in the life of Christ. Those things that God has put in us that he calls in that moment, that crackling moment, he calls them out for the impact of the onlooking world. I think they're there for decades before that time. Okay? And let me just venture to say this. I think 2016 for you and for me is going to be a breakout year. Do you feel it? Maybe it's because 2015 was such a tough one. Maybe there's such thing as being at the bottom and you just know you can't go any deeper and so it's got to go up, right? But I just feel that in my spirit that something is going to hit the target in 2016 for you and for me. So let's hear what that call might be. Some of the stuff you're going to accomplish this year has been incubating in you for 30 years. I read once about a bamboo seed, a particular bamboo seed that will incubate for 60 years on the forest floor. Six decades it will sit like a little pebble and do nothing. Six decades until one day, boom, it pops, shoots a root, and it'll grow seven feet, a, seven feet a day, they say. So just when, just just freeze a second, just for one second, just when you think it's over, when you think nothing's going to happen, you just don't know when that moment might be when God will call that thing across that threshold of private to public and say, it's time, the audience is assembled. It's time to bring that thing to bear. If this sounds prophetic to you, grab it. If it doesn't, this is always true about the body of Christ. Don't ever accept things as uniquely prophetic that are always true about all people in all time. But let me just tell you, this is how God changes the world. He deposits things in people. He incubates them in you, and then he'll call that to the moment. The gifts, the talents, the abilities, the insights, the capacities, the sweet spots, the blind spots, the passions, all of that hiding in you in its moment is going to be called out. None of this stuff is designed for private consumption. I say this all the time, but it's true. Everything God has ever done, put in all of us, was put there for something greater than you. 
These are kingdom property. These are not yours to control. You don't control the seasons. And God will call it out. And I feel like 2016 is going to be a year where we're going to see some of that. And it's in the collective living out of these hidden treasures that the community of faith, the church, right, is born and sustained. What else are we doing here? We can read these teachings at home. And we don't have to rent Bailey Middle School to get it done. Why are we here? If it wasn't for the fact that there's something uniquely true about the local church that provides the environment for us to step out across that threshold and say, this thing that God put in me, I've discovered through the lens and the eyes of those around me, and I know has an audience, and it's time to bring that and put that in the game. The point is this. The redemptive plan of God to save the whole world is buried in you. And it's buried in me. And that's the entire plan. You say, what's God's plan B? There's no plan B. It's plan A. He spent 30 years preparing for three years in which he invested himself primarily in 12 people, buried treasure deep inside, called things deep from their guts up to the floor, and he left before anything was set. It looked like a miserable waste of time. If you don't believe me, read John 21. Peter basically quits, throws in the towel, and takes them all back fishing and says, well, at least we know how to catch fish. But there was something, something hidden, something buried in the right place. This is my vision of the local church. Let me just tell you how it reads because this has been resonating in my heart this week. It's a group of people all graciously, selflessly, intuitively discovering and then externalizing what has been deposited in them by God for the blessing of the whole world. Not for the building of the church, not for your own edification. I, I'm going to say it again because I, I think the point needs to be everything God does, he does for the good of the world through you and through me. You with me? Okay, getting a little intense in here. Maybe need a joke at the, right about this time. So uh, a, a preacher, no, I'm joking. <laughs> a preacher, a priest, and a rabbi walk into a bar. No, I'm just joking. What does Austin need? Austin needs a church that takes this seriously that knows that everything that God has ever signed off on is designed for public consumption. And I'm talking about your guts. I'm talking about your callings, your giftings, those things that are in you. This precise moment, in fact, in Austin, in our life, in our context, this precise moment was what God had in mind when he designed you before the foundations of the earth. He put the right people in place. He moves people. My outlandish story, how I end up here, from doing many other things is just as strange as yours is, but we are here. And God's up to something at ANC. Now, that's not the only compelling vision of the local church. Some envision a lighthouse that prophesies truth about what sin is to a dying world, and it's all about what's right and what's wrong. And I would just tell you that's another vision of the church, and that's an awesome vision of the church. That's not what I see most clearly, but I'm not telling you that mine is the only angle. But I'm saying a group of people who take ourselves seriously because God has put things in us for those around us, that's a compelling vision of what the local church can be. And even though right after the baptism of Jesus, the very next thing Jesus does is go 40 days into the desert for a real testing and a real trial, we know that even in that process, God is refining something for the good of the world. This is the moment in the life of Christ where he goes from potential to reality, from internal to external, all the Introverts go, oh no. He goes from well-kept secret to public entity. Notice that having done a sum total of zero worthy and great things, he's done nothing yet that we know of 
the father speaks to him and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to this. There is no direct connection between what we accomplish and God's approval of us. And some of us, we could just stop right there and let that simmer for a couple of weeks. There is no direct connection between God's approval of us, his ultimate speaking life over us saying, I am pleased with who you are. I am pleased with where you're going. No direct connection to the things that we've accomplished. We've got it all wired backwards, some of us, right? And yet we know intuitively that there's a greater purpose than just receiving that approval of God. There's something greater, something he wants to do through us. There's a world outside of ourselves that needs us to figure out why we are here. Everything matters around that one question. But we don't actually have to hustle for our worthiness, for our dignity, or for our approval. We've got it. Does that make sense? We've got it. So this game is not about approval. This is about a dying world. This is the rationale. What I'm, what I'm, what I'm trying to explain is the rationale behind the local church. It's not that we need to do this for God to love us. God loves us. He paid the ultimate price for us already. But there's a dying world who does not yet know God loves them. There are two kinds of people in the world, those who know and those who don't know yet. There's no other category. And for the purpose of the world, God is doing things in us. So think of the moving parts here. We've got a very simple scene, right? We've got the crowd. We've got Jesus. We've got John. We've got a descending dove. And we've got the Father speaking question, because we like to ask open questions here. Where else in the New Testament do we see the Holy Spirit descending? Anyone? Pentecost. Yeah. What's the purpose of the descending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? It's for everyone. You read my notes. Christy read my notes. It's for everyone, Christy says. What's the purpose of the, you know, if you grew up in the Pentecostal church like I did, you would say, well, so that people could, you know, speak in tongues and, and all that, all the power gifts, right, and all this different stuff. And what's so interesting about some of the contexts that I grew up in was that we just assumed that this was something that happened from the four walls of the church inside, right? The Holy Spirit came down so that we could all do this incredible, powerful stuff, and we missed the reality that if it doesn't feed hungry people and reach the lost, it all becomes nothing other than hierarchies of spiritual power within groups of people who already believe the same way. And we've missed it. And the maintenance of our model becomes our only mission because the mission is misplaced. Because it was always for a dying world. The Holy Spirit's descending is always about reaching the lost. I'm just saying give that, give that some thought. What are the purposes of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? What are they for? Are they so we can distinguish between prophets and apostles and those who can teach and those who have the gifts of faith. Paul says it's all rubbish compared to love. It's all about love. And love has a polarity. It has a direction. Love has an audience and a target. It's not a static thing. It's not love if it's static. Paul says all of it is nonsense if we're not moving in the direction of those who need to know they are loved. All of these things, Paul obsesses about how we exercise these spiritual gifts in the public assembly because he says, if you do this in a way that the lost will say you're crazy, then don't do it that way. Why? Because it was never intended to be for the audience of the choir and those who already believe. The movement of the Holy Spirit is always about moving beyond us to a dying world. Okay, I'm I'm beating that point too hard. God designed us for a specific context, and we are co-conspirators, listen to this, 
with him in the ongoing redemption of all that is. That's the invitation of humanity, to be co-conspirators with God in redeeming all things back to their fullness. The world, its people, its systems, its ideologies, all of it. And the biggest part of our journey as believers is to discover what is our role in that. Okay, so if you've been around the church for a while, you know I'm implying the word discipleship, right? Trying not to use it. I, shoot, I just did. It's like, the, what's the game where you have, you, you got to get people to say the word, but you can't say the word? Taboo, yeah. Oops, taboo. Sorry about that. Let me read another passage that comes to us today from the lectionary from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43. And listen to the heart of God here. Think about how you're designed and who you are as a person and your role in the local church and the redemption of all that is. Listen to the voice of God through the voice of, of the prophet Isaiah. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. This is talking about you and I. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Sheba for your stead. Since you are you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, he says again, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up into the south. Do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, which is everyone, whom I formed and made. Who is the maker? Who's the designer here? If we're the product, we're the people, who signed off on the creation? Do you hear the tenderness in God's voice? I guess I never grow tired of reminding people that they were made magnificently And in a mind-bending intentionality, they were made by God for a purpose. Every quirk, every fancy, every blind spot, every capacity, every uncanny ability to land on your feet and succeed in impossible situations, everything designed by God for a purpose. All of it. Think about it. Limitations. Brilliance. All of it, designed by God. I think there's two practical encouragements here in the story of the baptism of Christ. Number one, super practical. If you've not been baptized in water, it's time. This is the rite of passage that the church has always understood to be the doorway to the church. I'm not saying it confers salvation, but I'm saying there's no sense of community in the New Testament. There's no sense of of, of anyone's participation in that mystic community of believers across the globe, if not through the baptism of water. This is the outward sign that we say we are different. Our allegiance has switched, and we do it in classic ANC fashion in a cow trough, right out here. It's the most beautiful thing. It's, I could tell you stories of the different baptismals I've seen in my life, but this is by far my favorite. It's Trey's job to figure out how to get that water warm enough if it's a cold day. Can you imagine if we were doing it today? It would remind me of the day I was baptized in East Tennessee in the Little Pigeon River back in 1980, can't remember, 
We literally had to crack the ice away so we could clear a spot. I kid you not. I probably weighed 24 pounds. You talk about taking the, taking the wind out of you. You go down in that water, you're, you're going to heaven if he doesn't pull you up fast. Talk about the doorway to heaven. It's right there, buddy. Right, as, right in the, anybody know East Tennessee, the Townsend area, the Smokies, right in the bend of the road where you turn off to go to Walland, or you, you head on down to Townsend, right there in the bend, there was a beautiful little spot. That's where it happened. If you've not been baptized, it's time. When we hear from enough people, we'll, we'll get the trough out, we'll clean it up, and we'll fill it up with water. It's what we do. This is the kind of people we are. This is who we are. What are you waiting for is my question. Practical. What are you waiting for? Some of you, your heart's pounding right now. You've been dreading the question because you don't have a good answer to it because you know you're with this, this Jesus guy and you know you're with us as a church, but this is, this is important. Step number one, think about it. Step number two, for those of us who have been baptized, let me encourage you or encourage us to recommit to our baptismal vows. Do you remember what those vows were? That you're with this Jesus guy till the end. You are making a public allegiance to this man and to this way. You committed to following this Jesus, remember? You're not your own anymore, remember? You've thrown your lot in with the community of followers of Jesus. Come hell or high water. That's not even funny around here. The resources, deposits, the talents, the passions in you now belong, watch this, look out, to the community of faith. You belong to the community of faith. As one of your pastors, I get to remind you at the start of this newly minted year that it's time to plug back in, to quit complaining. Now look out, look at your shoes if you're going to get a little nervous here for me. Quit complaining about what we don't do well enough or what we should do or what we ought to do or what you used to do and be the answer in this local church, ANC. Get engaged is my challenge to you. Tithe. To my knowledge, I've never heard that word said from here. That's it. I just said, stop doing something and tithe. Uh Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Commit financially where your heart is, where your soul is fed, where the people are that scaffold your soul in those dark nights. Commit financially to this thing that you're a part of. Come and serve. Answer your emails. Right, Trey? Fight for the community that you know. Now listen, fight for the community that you know you crave instead of blame-placing a million reasons why nobody's bringing it to you on a silver platter. It's not delivered that way. You fight for community. You push through awkwardness. You have hard conversations. You resolve conflict. You fight for it. You know you need it. You know your soul needs it. Create it and then maintain it. Speak up, show up, get dirty, fight for us. We're not just here on Sundays because this is fun. Remember, the baptism of John, as experienced by Jesus, was radical stuff. It initiated some interesting conversations in those who came out to the waters to be baptized. It upset all earthly allegiances. People walked away different people from these waters. Let me just read to you some of the scuttle going on in the conversation around those in Luke chapter 3 who had been baptized. And see if you can pick up some next two steps here. Sliding back a little bit in Luke 3 verse 7. 
John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Now there's a way to plant a church. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, we're all good. We got this by the tail. Don't even go there, John the Baptist says. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Listen to the people. Their hearts, it reminds me of Pentecost in Acts 2, where the people say, what must we do after hearing Peter preach? The people say, what should we do then? The crowd asks, verse 11, John says, anyone who has two shirts should share one with one who has none. Uh Uh-oh. John's going all Bernie Sanders on us, isn't he? Did I just blow it, Jen? I think, we had a, I think we had a conversation about not saying things like that, but I don't remember. John says, you want to know what to do? If you've got too much, it belongs to the community now. You've got two shirts and the guy next to you has none? You know what to do with that second shirt. And I'm sure the people are just going, uh-oh. I'm hearing it and going, uh-oh. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Jesus says, don't collect any more than you are required to. In other words, your business is now nonprofit. What? That's how they made their living. They exchanged at a slight advantage to themselves. They were hated by the common people because they had no choice but to push money through tax collectors to get this done to appease Rome. They hated it. Jesus says, no sweat money, not a dime more than you deserve, not a dime more than is required. Then some soldiers, now think about this. He's nuking all of our favorite subjects here, guys. There's nowhere to hide. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. This is a radical new society that Jesus is introducing. These people rightly ask the profound questions, and we are implicated in this exchange. These are our baptismal vows, guys and gals. It's about sharing my favorite concept, because we do this so well in my house. For those of us who need to be reminded of our baptismal vows, know that we are no longer our own, that God has the right to leverage everything he's ever given you in the moment for those around you at his will. Think about that. Why is your car the one in the corner at the light next to the person who's begging for sustenance? Why did you be the one at the front of the line? Just know our excess does not belong to us. This is a subversive, revolutionary society that Jesus is introducing. So how do we do this? How do we actually do this? Well, we've got restored groups that meet all over the city. If you're not in one, it's 2016, it's time. Because it's that close proximity that we live our life out in that affords us no hiding place, that moves us in that discipleship journey towards Jesus at an accelerated pace. Remember in Star Wars where they pull the, they pull the accelerator back and all of a sudden the stars get long? You want to you launch yourself? Coach is laughing because he's the Star Wars buff in the room. I don't know. Did I get that right? What's that called? The USS Enterprise? I have no idea. I'm just... I know Polly Pockets. I don't know Star Wars. I'm sorry. I'm raising, I'm raising five daughters. But it's that point where the stars get long because all of a sudden acceleration, and now you're moving at the speed, right? At top speed. That's 
how you become like Jesus. You put yourself in situations where people are going to bug you. They're going to rub you. They're going to say things awkwardly. They're going to insult you, right? Making the jump to light speed. Thank you. That's my best Chewy. Sorry. You guys know that I'm just not that pop culture person. I didn't even live in the country when Star Wars was a thing, so you'll have to forgive me. I'm sad that, that uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, never mind. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Okay. But listen, listen, here's the deal. I'm going to give you some practical next two steps. I said it was going to be practical, not profound today. Here's the deal. We've got men's groups that meet. We've got women's groups that meet. Notice the women meet to study the Bible. The men basically meet to have breakfast. Spiritual levels, what can I say? We've got Restore Weekends every fifth Sunday. We've got one coming up in the end of January. We've got a foster and adoptive group that's meeting on the 14th Thursday of this week. If you're not part of that, that might be your next step. If you're anywhere in that world of foster or adoptive care, look us up, find my wife or find me. We've got things to do. We've got setup teams. We've got teardown teams, right? We need youth workers, specifically men, right, Zeke? We need all of these things, and as mundane as they seem, my suggestion to you is this. You're here for a reason, and those things in you are not for you. They're for the community. If you're the kind of person that envisions a perfect church, spit that out. Just spit it out. That's bad business. It's bad stuff. If you envision the flawless community of faith and you're on the lookout for the perfect church, just spit it out. You're never going to find it, and if you do, you'll spoil it when you get there. (laughs) Get involved. Get involved. I've heard that at least 10,000 times in church. How can that still be funny? How how can that still be funny? I guess it's true. Get involved. Make this one a good one. Guys, we're not in the game at ANC for perfect. You know that by now. We're in the game for good. We want to be a good church, a dynamic church, a responsive church. We want to be a church that leans into the wind where Jesus is blowing in our city. We want to be a church that exists to disciple people towards Christ's likeness. I'm not going to lie to you. I hear this critique often. Well, ANC is all about mission and they don't make disciples. It's the common denominator that I have heard by people who have left and gone other places that are more serious about making disciples. Let me just have a few words with that. I don't understand how you dissect or cut between discipleship and mission. It's not scriptural, guys. I don't know how you get there. I don't even understand the framework to have the argument if you would say, well, you're not about making disciples because you're all about mission. Mission is the means. It's the point. It's the whole deal. I've never been part of a church that didn't receive that criticism, and yet I've never really understood it. Here's the thing, and I'm going to try not to get too excited about this. I'm going to have to lose this. Whoops. That was clever. Hey, it still works. I can do it. I can do it. At least I don't wear earrings. Big, long earrings. Right? Big, they're, you know, big noonday earrings. I think it would occur to me looking in the mirror when I've got license plates hanging from my ears that those are going to hit the, I'm sorry. Nobody's ever thought of that, right? Sorry. I'm going to try not to get too excited about this, but it's pro- I'm probably not going to succeed. It's been one of those weeks. Engaging people in serving is discipleship. Now listen, listen to me. How do you think Jesus did it? What did Jesus do? Did he run a school? 
Or did he tag around the ancient world with a bunch of people teaching them object lessons about how, how things worked with seeds and with wine and bread and water and fish and all the things people understood? If you define discipleship as gathering people into conventional classrooms and teaching Bible classes, then sure, we have a long way to go. But I would argue about your definition. I would challenge your definition. Where did we get that idea that discipleship happens in conventional classrooms with lecture-style formats about Bible teachings, usually about the book of Romans or something super, super profound? Where does that come from? Early 20th century. There's a church historian. You know how old that idea is? By my historical account, maybe 120 years old, max. Now, position that against 20 centuries of church history, and you would know that for the most part, discipleship has always been understood as relationships that are about serving and about mission. That's always been the model. We know what Jesus had to say about people who thought correctly and yet did nothing about it. We know what Jesus had to say about people who were all about the believing and not about the action, and we don't want to be in that crowd. I have a visceral response to those who walk around church complaining, it isn't making disciples. It's not supposed to. You are. You are the church. You feed yourself in this new community. You lean in to have friends in this new community. They don't come packaged, add water and stir like a chia pet. That's not how it works. The church is making every willing disciple who's willingly walking the way to Jesus. Everyone is being challenged day by day because we lean in and we take things, we reach for things, we push the envelope until our lives are on that margin where we're stretched, you know, the rubber band where it's stretched, you know, it's about to, that's where growth happens and nobody can do that for you. You've got to position yourself there. That's where discipleship happens, by picking up a shovel and pitching in until something in you changes and you realize it was never about you or the church. The church only exists because the world is in dire need to know God loves it. There's no other rationale to be here. We could be anywhere else on a Sunday morning. Discipleship is not something that happens to you. It's something that you have to commit to. I know this is kind of heavy. But you've got to stay in the game. And when it goes sour, you got to restart. And when that restore group, the chemistry is off, you got to find another one. And when that relationship goes weird and sideways, you got to start again and you got to start again because we only encounter Jesus fully when we encounter him in the eyes and in the minds and the hearts of those around us. It was always the plan. There was never an individual option for this game. There just never was. Okay, so it's a new year. And if I'm making any sense at all, what you're hearing me say is throw your hat in. Commit to this deal. Opt in. Pony up. Take your obedience. Take those buried things and bring them out. Bring them into the light. Step across that threshold of private obedience to public obedience and begin to articulate what you see because this church will take the shape of every gift that God has buried among us and we don't know what that is yet. It's up to us. It's up to you. This is the journey to Jesus. This is discipleship. This is what Jesus is commemorating at the waters of the Jordan where for the first time he stands and the Father speaks, the Holy Spirit descends and it was never about making Jesus feel pretty or feel nice or building some sort of a fame structure. It was always about pursuing the least and the last and the, and the smallest and the leper and the widow and the orphan and you and me. 
The Holy Spirit will descend on us this year if we make this choice. And it won't matter if the church is perfect because it won't be anyway. The very best churches out there are not necessarily the ones who grow the most, who have all the programs. The very best churches out there, and I want to end with this idea, are those who create and maintain the right atmosphere of support for people to step out of themselves into the dying world for the good of the world. Those are the churches that make a difference. Those are the churches that when they shut down, the homeless person on the corner says, oh, what am I going to do now? Those are the churches that move the ball. That's who we want to be. I don't know about you. That's who we want to be. Are you with us? Are you in? Then let's pray. Musicians, why don't you gather? I have to confess that my heart shudders at the thought of full obedience to Christ. Because I know he means business. And when we pray these prayers of God, use me. God, do this thing through me. I know he hears those prayers. And not long around the bend is that first opportunity to lay my own comfort down and to step with him across that threshold to serve a dying world. And it's going to cost real stuff, real time, real money, real resources. And so I don't pray this prayer lightly, but I would invite you to pray with me. Father, use us this year. If all you can do in your heart is say yes, just say yes. Father, use us this year. Take us to a different level, Lord. Intersect our lives with people who have no other options, who have no other community. Make our paths cross with those who, if we don't, no one will. Help us create a place for those who are done pretending and can't pretend anymore. That we would know, that they would know that this is a place where we are journeying towards Jesus and Jesus is always moving towards the world. Lord, before the newness wears off, help us make this commitment this year. In your name we pray. Amen. We always end our time in the Word with a time of breaking of bread. We believe that it's the one-two punch. It's Christ the Word, and it's the breaking of bread, the breaking of the Word, the body of Christ. And we're going to do something a little different today, so I would ask you to pay close attention and read along. Um, we've called some ancient, very, very ancient words, some very old words around the table, uh, around this Eucharist or this communion that we do, and we've put them in a format so we can read along, and it's going to observe a couple of things that we've not observed until now, maybe. Um, we're going to observe a little bit of space for all of us to, to sort of unload and confess our journey this week, and you'll see that as it, as it works. And so there'll be parts that I read and parts that you read. I would just encourage you to read along in unison. You know, it happens to be one of my favorite sounds, God's people reading in unison. I'm just obsessed with it. Like, I love the music and I love the band. But isn't the high point, Michael, when people, you can actually bring the band out and people are actually saying something back to God. You know, the magnificent thing about this is that all we're doing is creating space for God 
and God's deepest lover, you, God's people, to make a reconnection. And so we believe these words might help. So let's try this. Feels like an experiment, doesn't it? So much fun. Okay, so read along with me, or do read along where it says congregation. You who truly and sincerely repent of your sins, who live in love and peace with all, and who do your best to lead a new life, following God's commandments and walking in his ways, draw near with faith and take this holy sacrament to your comfort and humbly bowing, make your honest confession to Almighty God. Just take a moment to do that. Now in unison as a congregation, read these words. Almighty God, Almighty God and loving Father, who with great mercy has promised forgiveness to all who turn to you with sincere repentance and simple faith, have mercy upon us. Cleanse and deliver us from our sin. Make us strong and faithful in all goodness and bring us into true life now and forevermore. Amen. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, This is my body, which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Take, drink, each of you, for this is my blood of the New Testament, shed for you and for many. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's all pray to our Father together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For that is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.